Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Have dominion over it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every ever living thing that moves on the earth. What do we see going on here? God created man to be like him, a reflection of his glory, his uh, vice chair to take care of the earth. He invested him with all the faculties of reason and creativity and intellect and personality and the ability to care for what God created. And that includes people and the planet. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every giant will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past you've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible with you Oh, nothing is impossible Hello and welcome to The Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby senior pastor here at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would like to encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues with his Family Matters teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please follow along with us as we hear part two of Pastor Keith's message, It Takes a Marriage. The real church would never abandon Jesus Christ. And that's why God hates divorce. And that's why we have this Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Have you not read he who created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. You try to tear a garment apart, it rips. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, we will talk later on about the acceptable grounds of divorce next week. But right now, we're talking about where marriage came from and what marriage is, which brings us to question number three. Just to review, marriage is a permanent union of one man and one woman in harmony with the purposes of God that pictures Christ and the church. And marriage came from God. Question number three. So why? Why is marriage necessary? Why is marriage necessary? God instituted marriage, as we alluded to earlier, to provide companionship for humanity and to care for everything, to care for one another and to care for the earth. Why is marriage essential to humanity and society and to the world? We go back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. You know, a lot of times we want to have 50 or 100 verses. There are, but I'm just giving you a manageable handful that you can sink your teeth and your mind and your hearts into, and I'm hitting them again and again. Spaced repetition over time helps us learn comprehend and synthesize things then God said let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them and God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it Bring it under control. Have dominion over it. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every ever living thing that moves on the earth. What do we see going on here? God created man to be like him, a reflection of his glory. His uh, vice chair to take care of the earth. He invested him with all the faculties of reason and creativity and intellect and personality and the ability to care for what God created. And that includes people and the planet. Now, I know that there's a whole cultural hysteria over the idea of what the Bible says about dominion and subdue. And people try to use it as a means to... But the reality is those words have to do with care and stewardship. You know, even today, some of you... I'm not because I live in a townhouse now in a condominium. Some of you are trying to subdue your lawns, right? Okay, you cut your grass. You're not out there stomping on it and yelling at it. That's not what's going on here. Dominion means a responsible stewardship or government. And that responsibility requires authority. And it's not dominance. It's not dominating. It's humanity caring for what God gave humanity to care for. And you know something else here too. A lot of times people in our culture and society, oh, he keeps talking about man. You know, the Bible demeans women. We'll get into that later sometime. I think most of us are understand the Bible and are intelligent enough to know that's not the case. But I want to call your attention just for fun to Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The Bible teaches that men and women are equally created in the engine likeness of God. They are equally precious for God in salvation. Galatians 3.28, which is often misapplied to other things. But what Galatians 3.28 says is that in Christ... In this world, in this fallen world, men and women are equally precious. There's no longer free, uh, male or female, free or slave, Jew or Gentile, but they're all one in Christ Jesus. So let's put aside that red herring about the Old Testament now and just stay with me here. The bottom line is this. Without governance, duly divine, designed governance. Without the duly designed, divinely designed institution of marriage, the world would move into chaos disorder and not out of chaos the world would deteriorate kind of like the second law of thermodynamics things going from order to chaos people were created to care for each other and tend the earth and marriage is fundamental to all of this and if you if you're not sure about that even though the text is clear just look around you i just came back from a vacation in europe declining birth rates not enough people to work to care for each other government taking over the role of family look at our country same thing you know what? There's no, there's, there are not enough people to support the system as it exists because marriage is in decline, because family is in decline, and we're not making enough people be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I know we talk about overpopulation, but I'm reminded that China has the same landmass as the United States. We have 360 million. They have 1.2 billion. The bottom line is there are not enough people to care for the older people, and for the younger people. There are not enough people to care for the environment, and society is unraveling. Birth rates are to decline, provision is in decline, social systems and infrastructure are collapsing. I want you to understand that God created marriage for the orderly birth of children. We used to call it procreation, and, and that was to care for one another and to expand the care team to care for the world around us. God gave man and a woman to one another to care for the planet and to care for each other and to have children to help them with their expanding responsibilities. You see, children assure the race continues and the care of it is ongoing for people as they get older and the environment as it 
is challenged and is it, you know, is it, is it lives and grows. Children are a component of marriage that builds and buttresses and strengthens society. We have to grasp that. You know, we talk about social security today, right? Everybody's panicked about social security because there aren't enough people, we're not making enough babies. There aren't enough people working to make the system work. You know, I mean, it's just, you don't, even if you reject the Bible, and I hope you don't, just look at the world around you. God bless them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Let me break this down. Fill, populate the earth. Dominion means get it under control and govern it. And it's a blessed responsibility that depends on marriage. And this so-called creation mandate, they call it, in Genesis 1.28, this mandate is repeated over and over and over again throughout the Bible. Even after the flood, even, even with Abraham, he's told the same thing. Jacob, they're told the same thing. Marriage is essential to the survival of our society. And marriage, is part of that, is essential to the training and preparation of children to assume their place in the world, to fulfill the responsibilities that God has ordained for them. And that's another reason everything is really in decline. Because parents less and less are doing that. Parents are to parent, not subcontract the job. Society depends on good parenting. And parental training is assumed in the Bible. When you read through the Bible, you constantly are reminded again and again of the role of a parent in training their own children. I'll just give you a quick survey and sample. Proverbs 1.8. Proverbs 1.8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Two-parent household. Proverbs 6, 20 to 23, and we'll just look at 6, 20 here. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Do you remember that video, one-parent households, crime, imprisonment, poverty? Proverbs 23, 22 to 26, we'll look at verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and despise not your mother when she is old. We can't kid ourselves. Parental training is essential and must involve both parents. The Bible is true, and the statistics we looked at a moment ago from the Centers of Disease Control and other places don't lie. They only affirm what we already know is true. It's an inescapable fact that parenting, parental training of children is essential. In fact, it's commanded. It's not an option. Deuteronomy 6, one of these great passages in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4, verse 4 through 21. I'm just going to excerpt it for you. This is called the Great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your, Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Parenting involves teachable moments. At breakfast, lunch, and dinner. At play, at work. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules the Lord our God has commanded us, then you will say, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out by a mighty hand. Children do not understand their heritage in the Lord or in life without parental training. Parental training is commanded. Our children, your children, grow up quickly. You only get, really, one shot at being a parent. The character is set by the age of five. You miss that window and playing catch-up ball is difficult but not impossible. And I'm reminded that even in the Bible, we have the testimony of people who failed to parent, right? Book of Judges, what does it say? And there came a generation that did not know the Lord. Right after the Exodus, 
right after the conquest, right after they went into the land, within a generation, the parents had failed a parent, and a bunch of people grew up who didn't know God, and each did what was right in his own sight. Sound familiar? In our culture, in our society, in our country? Two-parent training is necessary. It is necessary. And it's commanded. Deuteronomy 6 He's saying, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and you shall teach your children the commandments. I I grieve for parents who fail to do that. You know, a lot of times, parents subcontract the spiritual training of their children to the church. And that's a huge mistake. Why is that? Because for six hours a day, they're in school. Most parents have their kids in public school, and they're learning about people with two mommies and this, that, and the other, and the fluidity of gender and all this kind of business. Then you've got them in the home... And then for an hour and a half to maybe three hours a week, you bring them here. All we are is the cherry on top of the Sunday. We're not even the meal. We don't have access to your kids. You do, and the, and the educational complex does. And so you've got to train your children up in the Lord. That's why in Proverbs 22.6, you have a command. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go even when he is old, he will not depart from it. If you don't, even if they don't come to Christ, if you instill biblical morality in them, it restrains their behavior. But you are the primary trainer. You are commanded to train up a child in the way he should go. And that's why it says elsewhere, Ephesians 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you. Children are taught. They're told they are commanded by the word of God to listen to, to obey their parents. And, you know, even when they're little, of course, you know, it doesn't go well with them because you apply the, uh, the kinetic energy to their posterior when they disobey. That's not going well with them, but it's talking about something of greater eternal consequence. It's assumed that parents are training their children and children get, should get that. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Listen to what they teach you about God, about morality, about life, that it may go well with you. It's repeated again in Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Obey your parents what? Teaching. Obey your parents what? Your parents parenting. God has loaned them to us, and we are to train them. We are not to abuse the responsibility that God gave us by neglecting the spiritual training of our children. It's our responsibility. I mean, think about it. It's not your job to go to spank somebody else's child, is it? Good luck with that, and we'll see you when you get out of prison. It's your job to train, teach, and correct your children. And the church is there to help you as the cherry on top. You serve the meal, you serve the dessert, and we put the cherry on top three hours a week if you give them to us that much. Question number four, why is marriage essential to society? Now, we've alluded to that already, but I want to just come back to that again and maybe expand upon it. Why is marriage essential to society? Genesis 2.18 and Genesis 2.24 talk about it. We'll also pick it up in the New Testament. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Marriage is important to society because it's you and your wife and your family against the world. We live in a fallen world with a corrupted system and everything has been bent and twisted by Satan and others to pull us apart. And as one flesh in Christ, it's you. It's you. It's you to train your kids. It's you to equip them to face the world. And it's you to be together with one another in total transparency. 
You know, people look at Genesis 2.25 and if they're in seventh grade Bible class, they snicker. And the man and his wife were both naked and, not, and were not ashamed. They have nothing to hide. They have nothing to be ashamed of. There's total transparency. There are no hidden agendas. And that's why marriage is important to society. Because who can you trust? How many of you have been let down by other family members? It's you and your wife training those kids, discipling those kids, equipping those kids. People depend on people. This is about companionship and provision, supply, protection. People depend on people. It's not good to be alone. It's not good to be on your own without others around, beginning with family, which begins with marriage. God's design, God's plan calls for marriage, calls for family to do things that the government can't do. And I don't, I'm not trying to be negative here or political, but to me, when you, I t- a synonym for the word government is incompetence, right? You can't, if, if you don't balance your checkbook, nobody else will balance it for you, right? If you don't pay your bills on time, you know, these kind of things. And God gave the family as the basic structure for social welfare in society, for social well-being, for provision, for care. In 1 Timothy 5, 4 through 8, we read this. Now listen to this. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. What's going on there? You get old, your kids care for you. Your grandkids care for you. That's the way it's supposed to be. And the church cares for itself. The body carries, cares for the body. One flesh family. That's the system. No one is, in, is invested in your care the way somebody is who's related to you by blood and who loves you like a mother or a father or a grandparent or a son or a daughter or a granddaughter. I want you to look at, the, at verse 8. Because this is really an an indictment of our society. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's about as bad as it gets. If you're a Christian and somebody says, well, hey, buddy, Keith, Keith, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Why would I be worse than an unbeliever? Because I know better. I have the word of God to guide me, the spirit of God to enable and empower me, and the church to encourage me. Why would I neglect the people I love? God's first provision for the care of the old and the infirm and the disabled is not the church and it's not the government. It's the family. It's the children and the grandchildren. God's plan and design for caring for the old, the infirm, the disabled is the family. Watch this again. 1 Timothy 5, 4 through 8. You know what 1 Timothy is all about, right? 1 Timothy is the first of the pastoral epistles as to how the church should operate. God's plan for society. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness to their own household to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing the sight of God. We don't want to be displeasing in the sight of God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You see the intensity of verse 8? We're responsible for one another. A lot of times... Over the years, as a pastor, as an elder, and even as a deacon, you know, somebody would come to us for money, help. Sometimes they weren't wise with their resources. Sometimes they were, and life happened. And the first question is, have you talked to your family? They're like, what do you mean talk to my family? Well, have you talked to your son or daughter? Have you talked to your kids? Have you talked? That's where it begins, in the family. And that's why marriage is so important to society. There is no social system that is as reliable and as trustworthy and rightly motivated as family. So goes the marriage, so goes the family. I had a uh, colleague of mine when I was in the missions department at a large church years ago, and he was traveling with his mother-in-law. 
I know that sounds counterintuitive, but you know. Hey. And they were in a Scandinavian country, and she had a stroke. So they check into the hospital. She's in critical condition. She's 70 something years old. Him and his wife are there, and they're doing, meeting with the social worker. And the social worker is sitting there and goes, Now, are you going to hire a watcher? And he goes, You mean like a nurse? No, a watcher. Goes, What's that? I said, Well, it's like this. In our country, if a, two doctors come in and agree that, you know, this person's old and they're not going to really contribute to society, they can. They can euthanize the patient without consulting. And so some people hire watchers to keep that from happening. That's, you know, that's what we used to call you know, the death panel, so to speak. There's a whole thing called the Gronigen Protocol, and I'll get into that some other time. But make a long story short, your family is going to be your first line of protection. Not the government, not society. It's husband and wife and children. And that's why marriage is essential. You know the other thing that why marriage is essential in, in training up kids and training up your children is because if you can't, you know, it really speaks to how people are going to do in life in general, whether it's in the business world or in the church world. And where do we see that? 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5, back into the pastoral epistles. I want you to listen to this. Here's the implications of marriage and family. This is the selection of elders for the church. And an elder is a pastor. A pastor is an elder. You have vocational elders like me who get paid to do this. And you have other elders like the guys who volunteer, right? This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, intact marriage, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Look at verse 4. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, keeping his children under control. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church or anything else for that matter? If you can't manage your own family, how are you going to manage your employees? You see how essential marriage and family are? So goes the marriage, so goes the family, so goes society. Marriage is essential to society. The hand that rocks the cradle rocks the world. Marriage is essential to the fabric of civilization. It is essential to the stability of a society. And if you don't think so, just study history. Every society where marriage has come apart and the family has disintegrated collapses. Greece, Rome, just go back. Ours, Western civilization. I want you to understand the importance of marriage. I want you to understand why marriage is so essential to society because it is, the fa- it is the building stone, it is the cornerstone of civilization. So what do you do with all this? Because we've gotten through four questions and we're not going to make it to the other three until next week. What do you do with all this? Here's some application for you. Number one, see to your family's health by investing in your marriage. Take deliberate steps to make your marriage better. We'll get into that in a moment more. Prayerfully take an inventory of of your marriage and your ideas about marriage. Sit down with your spouse. Make sure you're playing from the same playbook. Two, prioritize God, spouse, everything else. You know, if you've got your spouse down here somewhere, if your career is up above your spouse, you're already off. Three, begin praying. We're going to be doing marriage classes, parenting classes, and some of the ABFs after the first of the year. We'll be teaching subjects like shepherding a child's heart, kids from 0 to 10, age of opportunity, 10 to 17, reforming marriage, how to act right. This is funny. That's not quite right. How to act right when your spouse acts wrong. And, and, and trust in God even when life hurts. These are, the, these are the classes we're going to be teaching. You know what? 
They're going to be open to everybody regardless of your age. And if you're not married, get in there because you might end up married someday and you want to be ready to roll when the day comes, right? And again, I want you to examine your own beliefs and make changes. It's never too late. You know, uh, the thief on the cross attained heaven, humanly speaking, at the end of his life. It's never too late. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. We so very much want to thank you for taking the time to join us today to study God's Word. And it's important that we let you know that we feel so blessed that you join us here each day on the program. Please remember, Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside Church would love to hear from you. So please take a moment to drop us a line or shoot us an email to let us know how we can be praying for you. Here's how you can contact us. The church mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can also visit our website at hillside.org, where you can find out more information about Pastor Keith, view our calendar of upcoming events here at Hillside, and also get information on our service times. And if you're close to the San Jose area, we would love for you to join us for worship. We are now offering two Sunday morning services here at Hillside Church, the first beginning at 9 a.m., and the second starting at 10.45 a.m. And we'll be continuing with our Spanish language service at 1 p.m. every Sunday afternoon as well. Remember, if you need more information on this or anything else happening here at Hillside Church, just visit our website at hillside.org. Well, we hope you'll join us again next Sunday at this same time as we continue with our Family Matters teaching series. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, may the Lord richly bless you, and thanks for listening.